0: Hello and welcome to All We Hear Is Purple. I'm Andrew Berg. We are the third or fourth most mediocre Husky podcast on the entire internet. And note, I did not say Husky football because today we're doing something a little different, which we'll get into in just a second. Remember to subscribe, rate, review the podcast on Apple, Stitcher, whatever. We're going to do something different today. Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about Husky softball destined for the Super Regionals. Uh, We have an expert on the sport and the team in Gaby Lucas (laughs) with us. And remember, Gaby, uh, if you get a chance to say hi, Mom, you should take that opportunity. We are going to talk football, but we're going to start a little bit with Husky softball.
1: Yeah. I mean, it made sense because, like, football is a bajillion months off. And softball just played one of the most heart-wrenchingly incredible and terrible games ever. Like, terrible if you're Michigan. Um, But... Yeah, I would say hi, mom, except for she has no reason to listen to this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Heather Tarr, every time she's interviewed, uh, like, in between innings, signs off with uh, hi to her mom. And we have officially – we I I think we can declare that we have officially created the official, unofficial UW softball hashtag because Courtney Gano, former – like, I think she – she might not have been an All-American, but she was, like, all packed 12 and whatever. Former, like, alum, alum Courtney Gano and, like, a handful of other people who do have ties to the program or are just whatever have have actually, like, fully bought into that. And I kind of love it. And I'm a little bit uh, not starstruck, but I'm very much like, look, Mom, we made it. <laughs> Between that and my stupid little, you just got, boy, you just got struck out by uh, Gabby Plane, mate. Um that becoming, as far as I know, Bailey Bailey Klingler uh, tweeted that that's her new lock screen on her phone. So <laughs> between those two things and being officially being followed on Twitter by Daniel Laurie, I think we made it.
0: I mean, this is I think this is a mutually beneficial uh, relationship. I, I should Disclose As we get into this, I'm very much a fairweather bandwagon softball fan. I support it. I'm thrilled that they're doing well. I there are a lot of sports on TV through the year. I usually don't dedicate enough time to like the regular season softball games. I'm thrilled when they're they're doing well. uh, And I got pulled in this weekend. And it was awesome. I mean, I had a great time watching the games against Michigan, even though I ended up watching most of them uh, on replay because I was like checking in
1: here and and there uh,
0: on Sunday night. (laughs) Yeah, that is a part of it. There's a limited number of hours in the day. (laughs) So as we talk talk about this, uh, Gabby's the person who understands the sport, the history, the team. I'm kind of, you know, probably in the same boat as a lot of you listening are. Maybe you're all experts. I don't know. But if you're (laughs) like me and you kind of watch when they get to the Super Regionals or the College World Series or just have faint, positive feelings about Husky sports in general and want to see them do well, um, I'll ask some of the really dumb questions. (laughs) And hopefully we can, you know, everybody can benefit from this, from the diehards who are finally uh, getting some representation on a podcast. You know, there are probably some other ones out there to the uh, idiots like me who are uh, (laughs) dipping their toe in the water.
1: I like to think of this as you are to UW softball what I am to men's basketball, Yeah. where it's like when it comes to basketball, I'm like, yay, team. But I am not really watching that much of their games. And I don't really know what's going on, like other than basic basketball shit. Like it's not, you know, I mean, we nobody can follow every single sport. That yeah. is physically impossible unless you're. No, nope, it is. Um, so Skip yeah, Skip
0: Bayless maybe can do it.
1: No, he pretends.
0: Well, he does pretend. That's what I, I think. That's as close yeah. as anyone gets that I can think of. Max Scherzerman yeah, maybe. I don't know somebody yeah. who has one of those hot take jobs.
1: Yeah, but that's the thing is I don't trust anyone whose job it is to talk about all sports. You can't know about all sports. It's impossible. It can't. Yeah. It's not like physically within the time constraints of a day. You can't be an expert on every single one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know what? Stop pretending. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyways, um, I for backstory, um, Heather Tar, obviously, you know, Andrew, you said like your, you know, you cheer them on when they're doing well. Obviously, for UW softball is pretty much since their inception until with uh, with the exception of a small, short period of time in between when their first coach was fired and like the year and a half between then and when Heather Tire was brought on. I mean, they're always good. So how good they're doing is relative. Um, but for me also, like softball was my sport growing up. Uh, I went to a shitload of UW softball camps. Um, which were all, you know, taught by Coach Tar and Coach Gaw, who's no longer there, and Coach Hirai, who's now the head coach at Seattle U, and his assistant coach, Caitlin Noble, who was the freshman phenom the year before Daniel Laurie arrived and was kind of her 1B, um, you know, as as that insane era happened. So I I the way that I think about UW softball is that when I, w- I was, like, 10, 11, 12, and they were my gods, and I think that, like... If I make it to be 80 years old or whatever, I think I will still be like, they'll still be my gods, even though they're now younger than me, whatever. Um, but I just thought that the thing, uh, if, you know, for those of you who didn't watch the game, A, that is psychotic. You should have because it was amazing. Um, obviously, that's easy to say in hindsight, but uh, it, it was you, softball typically and generally at pretty much all levels is double elimination tournaments. So in the regional, they um, beat, of course, Portland State and Seattle U, lost their first game to Michigan, um, went to the losers bracket, then then they beat Seattle U, I suppose. Um, and then so Sunday, because it's double elimination, if they lose once more, they're out. It, they have to beat Michigan not once but twice to advance. Um, and so you're coming into that with Gabby Plain, who is our god. Um, she, she two hits Michigan in the first game that day in about 100 how many pitches was it? It was. It was about it was slightly 100. under 100 pitches. It might it? have been slightly under because the second one, yeah, I, it doesn't matter. This is stupid <laughs> to like <laughs> how many pitches, but um, the the that whole performance I think is for her to do that, then come in 30 minutes later, pitch another complete game, was so. Just beyond bonkers, I think. I mean, it's 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 totally not unheard of in softball for people to do that. Daniel Laurie did that all the time. But to be on your game the whole time is, I mean, it, it's not about arm degeneration like it is in baseball because the motion is way more biomechanically friendly. It's just about you tiring and not being able to put the spin on it and the velocity. But I think um, the the main thing to me what made that second Michigan game so instantly iconic is that it is th- like the critical juncture for that whole story arc of this season and not only this season but Gabby Plain's whole career where obviously you have like they're a really really good team but they're defined by her performance and so however she goes they go and she You you know, they lost the first game to Michigan where it was her against Alex Storocco, who had a .88 ERA. Um, For reference, Michigan has the best pitchers duo in all the country of uh, Alex Storocco and Megan Bobian. And so, and it was like, Gabby was doing super awesome until she gave up back-to-back home runs in like the fifth or the sixth, which is, that's the first time that's ever happened in her career. Um, So she does that. And then she comes back to, to hit them and UW gets two runs in that second game but isn't you know they're not an offensive powerhouse in that game rightfully so because Michigan's pitching duo is really good and I think if you look at it's UW softball isn't carried by Gabby Plain that's not giving them enough credit but there's so many times where it kind of reminds me of in hockey how a hockey goalie can really just elevate everything and and then that is kind of what she was is and so for that second game it kind of felt like she's given so much to this program this whether it's over her career this season or just this weekend that you know she has to break eventually even if it's not permanent. And that first inning, the, first off, that first inning against Michigan, in the, sec, the last, the crazy game, she was lucky that they only came away with one run because she, she did not look good. And then that second, game, the second inning where they score four more, and it's like, okay, now we're down 5-1 against a pitcher who three hit us the day before. Um, it felt to me like finally she cannot, you know, Carry it. She can't carry the ring anymore, <laughs> and 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 it it felt like that perfect kind of story arc of finally when she can't do it, like it's like Samwise being like I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, and so for for the UW offense to come back from that five one to force a pitching change against a girl who was completely well rested, uh to hit them the year or the, the year, excuse me, the day before, um, force a pitching change to their other ace. And then to just go absolutely haywire and score seven innings or seven runs in that fourth inning to kind of have Gabby's back until she could pick herself back up was it, it almost it felt kind of like just the perfect script and uh, uh, and then because you know af- after she stumbled at first because she was so exhausted she kind of had that second wind and retired every single batter from I think it was the last 16 outs there was one that was uh, technically got on base and then the next person hit a comeback or right to Gabby and, and right into double play but I think if you had to kind of put your finger on why that game was why it meant so much and why it was so iconic besides the caliber of opponent and UW's offense and, and defense stepping up. Um, it it really felt like just like when your savior, when you have to be your savior's savior. Um, and so I think that'll that'll hold up for a really long time.
0: Yeah, it did follow a very neat story arc in the way you're describing. It was you mentioned earlier that this was so this team and the players and some of the important people involved were really. Uh, formative in you developing as a sports fan and participant mm. uh, I have kind of a similar experience with the uh, 1991 Minnesota twins exactly. World Series yeah. team which was so resonant with with the like the guts that Gabby plain had yeah. in, in this Gosh, long extended game that like the iconic moment or game performance there was Jack Morris pitching a 10 inning shutout in game seven of the World Series and while well, this wasn't A shutout, it was a hell of a lot more than 10 innings also, uh, which was amazing. But it's it's like, it resonated with me in the same way that I feel like the ability to just kind of, like, I'm just staying out here and I'm not Caving yeah. in and like it's it's as much mental toughness as physical toughness. I, I just one thing because I like I said I'm just gonna delve into um, like idiocy now. Tell me <laughs> if this what this sounds like to you. So I'm I mean I'm a I'm significantly bigger baseball fan. I watched thousands of thousands of hours of baseball. Um, watching Gabby playing reminded me. I was trying to kind of pinpoint like what does this remind me of, if anything. Obviously there are inherent differences. Uh, but her pitching style reminded me a little bit of Roy Halladay in the, uh, the sense that uh, it's, she has this incredible up and down in and out movement that she can strike put batters out kind of whenever she needs to, but she's also not afraid of generating contact mm-hmm. because if you do make contact with it, it's going to be very weak contact most of the time uh, just because the ball is so hard to pinpoint so hard to you know run into one. Um, I don't know. Is that it? it you could contextualize this better, uh, comparing her to other great softball pitchers, but is that really like the movement on her pitches? Uh, you know, how unique is that? Is she the best on this team, the best in the country, the best you've seen in years? Like, what, where does she kind of fit in that uh,
1: hierarchy? Yeah. I think you really nailed it as far as, um, yeah, she, she does – I mean, she gets more strikeouts than you would think ba- just based on watching her pitching style. Um, you know, she's – just because she's so deceptive. But it's totally – I mean, she keeps it – tends to keep it low in the zone. And so you get a lot of, like, kind of these just, like, crappy little grounders. And, I mean, she's talked about it herself, and the, the Coach Tarz talked about it, that, like – it's And this is kind of a cliche, but it's really easy to pitch like that and pitch confidently and not feel like you have to do all the work and then kind of fuck up in the process because that's what happens when people do that. When you have really, really great defensive players like Sis like Bates, uh, you know, at shortstop or or Morgan Flores in, in at the battery, uh, you know, you know she can handle whatever you're going to throw at her. Um, and I think that's really accurate. And that kind of brings me also into Gabby Plain is obviously the best pitcher we've had since Daniel Laurie. Um, I think I think it'll go down until unless someone else comes along eventually, you, you know, which is kind of a once in a generation thing. but um, I, I think until someone else comes around, which isn't going to be for a while, probably, um, it's definitely those two are the uh, best period. Um, but they're so different, and that's what I love about them. That's what I love about Gabby Plain. And they're so different both stylistically, like, in how they pitch, but also their, uh, their like, presence in the circle is – it's just almost – it's almost hilarious to me to think about, like, comparing Gabby Plain versus Daniel Laurie. Um, that Yeah, like you said, like Gabby's, like, much more kind of a Roy Halliday style – She's, she, I, I, I think of Jamie Moyer, even though she's not, like, that slow and finesse. Like, she's not... <laughs> she's still throwing it pretty fast. But um, in, in comparison to Danielle, I think of... I mean, my analogy is going up to bat against Danielle Laurie and having to face her presence in the circle. It's like getting mauled to death by a grizzly versus... Gabby Plain, it's like getting uppercut to the throat by a Care Bear it's so <laughs> absurd and even it's so funny to me that like if you if I were to walk up to the batter's box and have to face Daniel Laurie I would pee my pants and just walk away I'd be like it's like going after she kind of reminds me of Randy Johnson in that sense of just pure intimidation except for less doesn't she doesn't have the pock marks or the terrifying mustache and mullet yet um yet uh, yeah that kind of makes it makes it even more intimidating was daniel lauren was like so beautiful and she's gonna kick your ass and you're just gonna look like you're gonna get so humiliated and you know she threw so hard but she was also so in command um but gabby plain is so adorably unfazed in the in the, in the circle, it, it, I, I, it, I, a couple people have kind of started tweeting and trying to make this a thing, which I love, I, of, of the smirking is working. Because she just has this kind of smirking little smile. She's not trying to prove anything to you. She's not, like, trying to scare you. She's just going to beat you up and there's nothing you can do about it. And she's going to smile at you while she's doing it. Like, I feel like she's she's she would give you a hug, punch you in the face... Say sorry and then buy you a beer afterwards, <laughs> and I just love the fact that now the two once-in-a-generation pitchers that we've had, besides both being from the Commonwealth, uh, are so completely different that it's so perfect next to to see them in that same sphere above everybody else. Um, yeah, I just I love that more than anything. <laughs> Okay,
0: can I ask? I had a list of dumb mm-hmm. questions yeah, that I came up with away. while we were watching. Um, and so, when, you mentioned Sis Bates, and she did really have an incredible couple days defensively. I, you know, You're seeing scared. the games against Michigan on Sunday, but also seeing some of the highlight packages that they put together. The thing that struck me about her, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone throw a softball as straight overhand as she does. Right. Is yeah. that a, that it, that's not just me, right? Like that's a very unique thing. Uh, it, it, is that Intentional? Do you? Is there a story behind it that you're aware of, or is it just like a weird quirk of her play?
1: <laughs> I think it's a, a little bit. I mean, I know she can throw it at all, at every single angle because we've seen it before. Uh, you know, we've seen her throw kind of sidearm and off balance and whatever, like Patrick Mahomes style. But um, yeah, I've noticed that too. She really throws right over. I, I, I think part of it is just uh, if she's she she kind of defers to that in certain positions like the that one time it was in the last game against Michigan I think or maybe the second where she like I think it was the second where she got this short hop off the backhand but was on her knee and just threw it threw her out from her knee I think it's a lot of it is yeah uh, you know and also she I think a lot of it is just situational but also that she's not she's like a pretty small person I think she's, very like, small five yeah. four or something and slight
0: um, but extremely yeah. strong yeah
1: she's she's like an ant you're just like how are you yeah. that strong and that small um would not be but surprising yeah, to that. see her
0: walk off the field with a giant crumb on her back that's three yeah. times her body weight yeah
1: yeah
0: exactly uh, um yeah so another thing that caught my eye in the second game uh When Michigan's pitcher was flipping the ball around in her hand, there was Mm -hmm. a I'm as you can't see this because this is an audio medium, but I am flipping a ball uh, Mm of pretending to flip a ball around in my hand to demonstrate Um, the announcers had like a fairly open conversation Mm -hmm. about Heather Tarr uh, just relaying signs or pitch selection to the batters. Is that normal? I mean, I feel like this is – it's not the same thing as the Astros sign-stealing because it's <laughs> on field. But, I mean, if that's the norm and that's just what's expected, thats I, I have no qualms with that whatsoever. But it's just interesting to me that this is something that people, like, get so up in arms about. Uh, sign stealing and if it's just like you accept that it's part of the game I don't know maybe that's not the case but it seemed like they were pretty sanguine about it it's just like yeah she's uh, reading what she's <laughs> about to throw and then the hitters know what's coming
1: um no so I don't think I think wh- the way that I interpreted that conversation is that because that was Alex yeah that was Alex Draco because she's right that's right yeah um that that there was there was a time ty- there's a, like a mound visit or circle visit that Michigan was doing and so I think heather tar the way i interpreted what the commentators were saying was that heather tar was talking to her batters at that time just about what she was seeing then but not like not relaying every single pitch to her because if you think about it that wouldn't really make sense because you're if you're the batting coach you're giving you're you're giving your person whether they're left-handed or right-handed like you're giving them their uh commands and then and then at that point, once your your batter steps back into the box and they're getting ready to hit, then you know it's still a while before Stracco is gonna select her pitch and have it ready in her hand. So like I don't, she wouldn't have the time to yeah. be able to, to like
0: really... <laughs> Maybe giving them hints. Yeah, on, I think I think it was her just, tipping her pitches or something.
1: Yeah, I think it was something like that, giving her hints about tipping and also just what she was seeing as far as. Um, like patterns, that was, that was the way that I interpreted that because there's no way that would be impossible to <laughs> to like, okay, she's going to throw a riser now.
0: Yeah. Um, well, yeah, she'd basically have to shout out the pitch as yeah. the windup is happening, which yeah. may not even be helpful. Like, I don't know if your brain can process information that fast. Yeah. And, and um, that,
1: that probably wouldn't be looked upon great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that actually, if you don't mind, that does bring me to another thing that I want to talk about, yeah. which is coach tar who besides a before even getting to this is i i love her so much and this is again partially to the fact that like i started going to their camps like a like year or yeah like a year after she became their head coach and so she was like the god um and she was always really nice and treated everyone with like she treated like 10 year old kids with like so much dignity and like respect and wasn't demeaning or didn't dumb things down but made it accessible at the same time. So I've always really, really respected her for that. And along with the fact that she's really, really good at her job. Um, And I didn't pick up on, I didn't pick up on what I'm about to talk about. uh, So I didn't pick it up so specifically the first time I watched, um, you know, live on Sunday, but I rewatched the games earlier I rewatched the last game earlier today and it really hit home when you're able to rewatch it how much of a kind of tactical and personnel management mad genius she is. Um, And for one thing, this game, besides being a matchup of such great pitching, of Gabby playing the nation's best pitcher versus versus the the nation's best pitching duo, um, it also was against like two to use a cliche, it was two of the all-time greats for coaching, um, and but I think re- Coach Tar has to get a lot of credit for I think um, tactically I think she outcoached Carol Hudgens, which usually that's not something you really bring up that much in softball or baseball, especially baseball because it's a bigger field, um, and and also I think just from a personnel management I think Coach Tar was kind of like she took a gamble, but she in the end, in hindsight is 2020, I think she managed that game so masterfully. And I kind of feel like that whole thing, that whole series almost can be distilled down into one decision from each side, and that's Heather Tarr leaving Gabby playing in, even after she looked like she was gonna die. <laughs> um, and like she was not, there was no end in sight to giving up runs and hits. Versus, uh, Hutchins taking Stracco, Alex Stracco, out after four runs. Um, they obviously, and this isn't me saying one of those decisions was correct and one of those was wrong, and that's why we won and that's why they lost. But I think it, I think if you could di- turn the, take a microcosm of the game that best select, or that best represents it. It's that right there, because I think, and this is back, kind of back to the personnel management, um, Coach Tar had two options, and it was either leave in your pitcher, who is um, incredible, but she has she just threw a complete game shutout, put her all into it, like she had to fight for that one, uh, 30 minutes previously, and has now thrown another like 75 pitches so she's thrown like 175 pitches at this point she doesn't look very good but you know that she is from a performance and talent standpoint you know she's your best or you can because she doesn't look good and it's probably gonna get worse you can put in one of your other pitchers who's fine not great you're probably going to lose but it's and it's, but it is a Hail Mary because she's fresh and you're probably going to lose if you keep Gabby in anyway. Um, and I think for Tar to keep Gabby in, it kind of reminds me of the opposite of that football game that was Cal U Dub 2018, where that one moment of Pete putting Jake Hayner in, even if that was the right call, which we know in hindsight it wasn't, <laughs> Just what that does mentally to your team. I think when Tar leaving Gabby in, it kind of gave them all this second wind for, like, this is the dogfight that we signed up for. She's got this. And I think when they know that she's got this, even though this is all subliminal, I, you know, they wouldn't explicitly think it. But I think kind of in the that back of your lizard brain, it kind of shows, even no matter what the score says, that you know, you're starting the inning off fresh, like you do, that you're still, she is still giving you a chance. Um, Versus when Carol Hutchins took out Alex Starocco, who previously had kicked UW's ass, um, she, I mean, she took her out after four runs. And then you could tell kind of a little bit till that point, you could tell Michigan was a little bit on their heels. But once she took Alex DiRocco out, it felt to me like that's when you started to see a little, you started to see that kind of panic in their eyes. And it felt like Michigan was on their heels from that point on. Um, Even though they weren't, it wasn't inevitable that UW would then score six runs after putting Bobian in. But um, I think when you look at Michigan made their players had a couple kind of mental mistakes that, that inning, that, that huge inning that we had, um, I, I don't think it was because she changed pitchers, but I think that kind of changed the mindset a little bit where they got a little bit frantic and they started making these decisions like throwing it to home when you should have thrown first, um, or uh, you know, just kind of these frazzled decisions or frazzled e- executions that I think those two decisions by Coach Tarr and Coach Hutchins are the two most important things they did, and it kind of summarizes the, that whole series to me. Um, and that's on the personnel management side. But the other thing that I really picked up on with (laughs) Heather Tarr again, which I knew this, but it's fun to see it in action is I feel like she really is like this crazy mad scientist who is, um, so focused on the details, um, that she's playing 5D chess over everyone's heads and like in the kind of classic example of this and I was tweeting a bunch of stupid memes about it today from our account is like she'll throw all these different hitting commands at people um let's take bunts for example in these situations where you're like why the fuck are you bunting (laughs) Like she did like the perfect one was um, the first out that Michigan got in the beginning, which we'll call it that from now on. The first out they got was we had the bases loaded. I think we were up by one or me. No, we were up by one or we were tied. And she calls a suicide squeeze kind of down the third baseline. And at the time, it's kind of like, dude, you have no outs. Your bases are loaded. <laughs> what are you doing? But then it makes sense. When you see what she does later, and you think about the risk-reward involved, it totally makes sense that it's kind of like doing a play action on second and one deep that you're probably gonna get out. You might not, you might score a run, but it sets everything up in motion to, for everything later. So for example, I think it was, it was like four or five batters later where she did another, like this late setup bunt that was pushed right in between the pitcher and the first baseman but she knew if she sh- she knew how to the a they how Michigan would react to showing bunt how they showed it by crashing their third baseman but if but by that point their third baseman's taking a bad angle because she's expecting this and then so she has to come back around to the where that actually is which is in in between first and the pitcher and then um, knowing also because there wasn't anyone at first that there wasn't a force at home but that she would probably still try to throw it to home because first was a shitty, it was a shitty angle and they were getting frazzled back to the, the personnel management. Um, and so that was, you know, then you score that run there. And I think there's a lot of examples over and over and over again in her hitting commands and her base running, but especially her hitting commands. Um, and particularly with left-handed hitters, whether they're slappers or not, um, of just really getting into opponents' heads And knowing, being constantly like two, three, four steps ahead of people. And I think it's something that we kind of take for granted in in diamond sports, both baseball and softball, that your job as a coach, a good coach recruits well and coaches players up. um, And then they kind of take it from there. But to be so tactically savvy and so forward thinking and setting yourself up is just so fun to watch even though it's kind of stressful sometimes in the moment as a fan but oh my god she's it's i love it i I love watching that poker match happen and i it when you have a really good pitcher playing poker and you have a really good coach playing poker on the offensive side um oh fuck i just i love it so much (laughs) i love her as a person i love her as a Coach, like both tactically, personnel, recruiting, coaching up. It's like, man, she deserves a statue. And frankly, I would be pretty shocked if she doesn't get one after she retires in a hundred years.
0: I mean, definitely off to the right kind of start. Yeah. Um, I can we agree while we're talking about Michigan's coach, she looks. An awful lot like the late career Bobby Cox, which I think isn't a coincidence because you spend that much time standing in the sun outside of a baseball or softball dugout, and your skin will start to show the effects of it. But uh, that's a life <laughs> well lived, whether yeah. you're the male or female Bobby Cox yeah. or Bobby Cox is the male.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot. Her. Fle- Fleming,
1: Coach uh, Fleming. Oh, the Michigan coach. Yeah, H- Hutchins. Hutchins, Carol, Carol, Carol Hutchins. I'm on. Bobby
0: Cox is the male. Carol Hutchins. Yeah. Um, Before we wrap up softball, let's talk a little bit about the super regional in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. It's a two out of three series in Norman. Oklahoma is the top seed. The Huskies got kind of job on seeding, being ranked like fifth or sixth in the polls and then getting seated 16th, which means that the super regional goes through uh, maybe the best team in the country. Also with one of the three finalists for national player of the year Um, that Should be a pretty exciting matchup when Gabby Plain uh, pitches to, I forgot her last name, but her first name is Alo. Um, And uh, apparently one of the nation's great uh, mashers and hit a ton of home runs this year. So uh, tell what can we expect? Is this a winnable series? It seems like Oklahoma is just killing the ball. They scored 24 runs (laughs) in their regional final against Wichita. Um, That seems like a lot. Is this a typical
1: pack? <laughs> it does seem defense. like a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, just like anyone, I'm not thrilled that we have to go through Oklahoma because it's ridiculous that UW was the 16th seed. Um, this UW as a team deserves to be in the World, in the Women's College World Series more than many of the teams that are in the Super Regionals. Um I, but that's, you know, that's kind of its own thing. That's in the past. Who gives a crap? Um, That being said, so yeah, Oklahoma, obviously they, their weak link bats like 320. (laughs) (laughs) They have like so many people with an OPS that's like so far above a thousand. It's just stupid. Um, But that being said, I think I, this doesn't feel like that. Like that animal sacrifice. That like when, when you sent UW to to Alabama if for football in 2016, you're like, okay, <laughs> and we're done. You know this this definitely isn't that. Um, I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think in general, I think UW is by far the more complete team. Um, I think it comes down to the fact that Oklahoma. Hasn't, to to a couple of things. Oklahoma hasn't played any really great pitchers. Um, They've played fine pitchers. They've played good pitchers, but they haven't played super great pitchers. (laughs) And the other thing is that their pitching is mediocre at best. Um, So if you look at what, if you look, if UW does. To, if 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 UW could score ten runs on the best pitching duo in the country, I think they could score a lot more. I think they could score plenty to challenge Oklahoma and possibly pull off the upset. Um, I it, it of course this all comes down to Gabby Plane. Um, it comes down completely. It's her and. Uh, the, the, and the UW offense not getting streaky in a bad way, um, you know, because there was times during the year when they would kind of get a little bit dried up. Um, but I, I think it's unlikely, you know, after, uh, <coughs> after the regional and after, after their thing with Michigan, I think it's unlikely that they would go cold now. Um, so I, I, think, I think it's going to be a really, really, really good series. And I think if anyone, obviously, for an offensive team, for any team, but especially a team that's really, really good at batting, um, the more you obviously the more you see a pitcher, the better you get at it. That was what happened with UW against Soroka and Bobian. Um, but I think the way that Gabby Plain pitches, if she kind of almost has the same, where she adapts to batters, and she's so she gets but kind of gets better as time goes on too obviously provided she doesn't have to throw 220 pitches in 5 hours which she won't um unless a game goes into like 500 innings <laughs> but but uh she i think she adapts really well she doesn't have like a signature or she she doesn't she doesn't overly rely on like any one setup and punch for her outs um so I, th- I think she's unpredictable. She has much more movement on her pitches <clears throat> than anyone Oklahoma's played. Um, and so I, I, I think she she is obviously the biggest test for them, but also they're the biggest test for her. Uh, and it's really just down to her and UW's bats. And obviously I suppose you could say that about any game, but in particular I think they kind of control their destiny more than Oklahoma does.
0: It is pretty fun that it shapes up so neatly as these two elite teams. And one is the very best at run scoring and one is Mm -hmm. the very best at run prevention. It's the, you know, immovable Mm -hmm. force, uh, (laughs)
1: unstoppable
0: unstoppable object, movable, whatever. Uh, It'll be very fun. Uh, If anybody's still on the fence about this, uh, my, uh, you know, as like I mentioned earlier, the uh, dummy who doesn't watch this frequently, (laughs) the the takeaway I had just is a stylistic thing was, uh, it, it was the things that people complain about when watching baseball in modern baseball mm-hmm. uh, has a lot to do with the pace of play, which I think comes down to one. Uh, everybody's trying to hit a home run all the time, a yeah, out or a or strike somebody yeah. else or hit a home run. Very few balls in play kind of diminishes the action, which also takes away from like the athleticism on the field because you're not seeing defenders make amazing mm-hmm. plays because there are just fewer balls in play on the field. And then ridiculous amount of time between pitches. I think, you know, there, are, you could still argue that some of these, the time between pitches was a little on the long side and it's a giant pet peeve of mine. When baseball players step out of the box after, not taking oh, a yeah. swing. And I don't know why that needs to happen in any sport. Like if you fall yeah. the ball off, okay, fine. If you just stand there and take the pitch, the umpire doesn't need to let you get out of the box. Anyway, <laughs> uh, not the t- time between pitches seemed a little better. The action in the game is so much more frequent. Like, yeah. you know, people might have different preferences in what sports they want to watch. And that's fine. But If your complaint about baseball is that there's not enough action, there aren't enough, uh, you know, great fielding plays, base running doesn't matter enough, tactical decisions by the manager don't matter enough. This is a very different uh, game that will return some of that to you.
1: Yeah, I I actually was. Yeah, I was saying that to a friend of mine, like my comedians, sports fans group chat where I was like, "I, I love baseball, you know, like. Ken Griffey Jr. and I, I cry if you play Davey House's Call of the Double. Like I can't not do it. I can't. It's impossible. But like baseball's popularity problem could mostly be solved by just being softball. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so it's, um, it's yeah. There's just so much more, more small ball matters. It's not just all or nothing. It's it's not a strikeout or home run, um, and especially with the Heather Tarled team. Um, so. Yeah, it I totally totally endorse what you're saying.
0: Uh, so we've we've definitely, I think, had a, a good, uh, some good coverage of what we've done on this apple field. And I think this team deserves it. And hopefully a week from now, we'll get a chance to uh, regroup and talk a little bit about the regionals and going to the College World Series with any luck. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We are going to talk a little bit of football. We're going to count down each of our, we each, we each put together a list of the three things we're most looking forward to about the return of football. We're going to count those down. So if you only want to listen to us talk about football, uh, I probably should have said this at the beginning of the episode, so you can <laughs> (laughs) but I didn't and you're here now so stick with us
1: yeah oh my god wait before we go to uh before we go to a break sorry I have to say this I ended up one more softball thing I went down a little rabbit hole because I really like to find like news outlets or posts on whatever from like different perspectives and from like whatever because Gabby plans Australian so I was trying to go find some stuff from like maybe her newspaper or whatever about like what do they think about um, this American thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I scrolled all the way through, like, a bunch of, of, of softball Australia's uh, Instagram. And I'll include this in the body of the post on UWDP. Um there's this. They posted this. This is a couple years ago. This photo of it was like where we started, where where we are, or whatever that beam was. So it was obviously her as a at UW. But then there was this little photo of Herb as probably like a nine year old or whatever, or eight year old in all her gear, and it is the it's so freaking adorable. And my what little maternal instincts I had just melted and was like, oh little baby, it's so cute. <laughs> And I just had to mention that before we move. Okay, now to a break and no more softball until next (laughs) week or whatever.
0: (laughs) All right, welcome back. As promised, we're going to talk a little bit about the football season, although it's May and football doesn't start for like four more months, which sucks. Three more months, Uh, but we do. We can always dream about what's to come. It's been you know two years since we. We're able to go to football games. It's been over a year or it's been a year almost since we played four games, which was weird. Uh, But this season should look a lot more normal. So Gabby and I each put together a list of the three things we're most excited about for having football back and being able to watch Husky football in the fall. Uh, We're going to count down three, two, one. uh, If we have any overlap, which we probably will, we can just cross those off the list as we go. Uh, Gabby, what did you have at your third most anticipated thing about the return of Husky football?
1: Um, can I actually have you go first? Because I don't know my order yet. <laughs>
0: okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> my order is not very well thought out either. But number three on my list is the Michigan game. It uh, might be higher on the list that this was last year, and we were still getting to play this at Husky Stadium. And the reason I'm excited about this is it feels like uh, an opportunity. It's, it, it's kind of a fulcrum, it's a, a, a crucial point in Jimmy Lake's tenure very early on, not that he can't be successful if they lose this game, but it's a way to put a flag in the ground. Even if Michigan isn't, you know, forecast to be a top 10 team, and they've had bumps along the road themselves, this is still an absolute blue blood program that recruits as well as, you know, anybody that's not named Clemson or Alabama. They uh, have had great success in the relatively recent past going to uh, New Year's day bowl games. Uh, I think, I don't know, I know that's horrible, <laughs> but I think they still snuck into our orange bowl or two, uh, but it, it, the larger point being, this has an outsized impact on Washington's national perception, which means it also has an outsized impact on Lake's career trajectory that winning this game, yeah. it doesn't undo the losses to Penn state and Ohio state and Alabama and Auburn during Peterson's tenure, but it does show an opportunity to kind of turn in a new direction and be more of a national powerhouse. And the timing is right. Uh, We have a quarterback who has at least a partial year of experience under his belt. It's not like you're breaking in somebody new for the first time, which is what we feared when we forecast this game a year ago, when it was supposed to happen in Seattle, the biggest weakness from last year's the run defense should be better because we're now moving from, a depleted, inexperienced defensive front to one that kind of got a baptism by fire, struggled at times, but now has that year of experience and should be a lot better. At least at the point of attack, um, we'll see if the the linebackers can match that. But I think just across the board, it's a fascinating matchup. The potential impact of the game is really big, and. I, I'm just really excited about the idea that we could be going into conference play with a win over a nationally celebrated blue blood powerhouse on the uh, on the slate already.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one because Michigan's kind of perfect in some ways, and in, in that they are a blue blood name. They are also a Jim Harbaugh coach team. <laughs> So like they have a, you know, historically under him, they have a really great defense, but they are prone to kind of fucking up. And uh, yeah, I I think, I think that'll be fun. Definitely. Um, So my third one is going to be um, the safety competition Um, or maybe not competition in so much as like who ends up rotating in the most because uh, I feel like we'll see a heavy amount of rotation there. But I think between – I think it's interesting thinking of, like, okay, are Asa Turner, Cam Williams, and Alex Cook, like, are they, are they going to be the players that we have seen, which are fine, but not – they are not foolproof, and they have probably – not probably – they haven't played consistently to the um, – standard that we've come to expect and that we need, particularly in the run game. Um, yeah. For this defense to really function highly. Um, but I think it is really interesting to see based on what, what uh, coach Lake has said and what observations have been made about Dom Hampton and, and Julius Urban, um it, it, I, I feel like it, it is going to be really interesting to see both who ends up playing the most and why Um, because, especially with Dom, Dom Hampton is so interesting because he's ginormous. He's also, he wasn't like, we all thought he was probably going to be an outside corner. Um, and then he bulked up to like 220 (laughs) and, uh, and I, I just think that's if, if he really has kind of the light has turned on for him, like Jimmy has alluded to before, um, if not explicitly stated, uh. I think that could be something that's really fun. And if the light has turned on, but other people are playing, then that means they've gotten better too. And of course, this is all contingent on the right people being played. Um, but I think if there's any one grouping on the field that I trust like to play the right people, it's the secondary. So,
0: Yeah, I, that's a really good one. I, I think Hampton really, for the reasons you listed, caught my eye. I, and I think that plays into the next uh, point that I had, which is maybe a little bit more general, which is just the defensive development overall. Uh, I, I love that this team's identity over the last five or six years has been that they're the best defense on the West coast, that no matter who they're playing against uh, there's schematically, they're never going to be lost. And even if they don't have the most uh, blue chip recruits on the field at, uh, at a given time, they have the tactics and enough player development ability to be a dominant defense. Like the, the, some of the games are hard to watch like that PAC 12 title game against Utah. When the only <laughs> touchdown was the Byron Murphy interception Speak return for
1: yourself. <laughs> I,
0: well, I mean, they're, they're, tense no, it was, what I mean. Like, you don't, yeah, I totally like don't, what you mean
1: and you're a right.
0: dissection, you know, the surgical victory, but it's also, I, I so, so much prefer the, Great defense, adequate offense over adequate defense, great offense style of football, uh, just as my own personal preference. And I think the the pieces are in place to get back to that this year. Maybe not games where we're holding teams to three points. Uh, those are pretty rare unless the other team kind of chips in with their own incompetence. <laughs> but at least enough that it's not kind of like middle of the pack defense, which we saw last year at times for the first time in several years, it was like the points were kind of artificially suppressed by the low pace of play on our offense. So just mm-hmm. limited possessions, but there were times against Stanford, the first half against Utah, the defense just wasn't very good. Yeah, uh, and then that, totally. that was uh, something. It's just, it felt weird not being able to get off the field. Like there might be a drive or a game in past years where that was the case. It didn't feel that way. Uh, it felt like there were whole, uh, games like stretches of the season where it just wasn't quite clicking. I think they would have come around if they had a full 10, 11, 12 game season. Uh, I, I think part of the issue was, like I alluded to earlier, just that there wasn't enough uh, time, developmental time, for the defensive front to get up to where they needed to be, particularly since developmentally some of our defensive linemen should have been uh, developing, you know, rotating in next to uh, Levi Onzarike and Joe Tryon instead of taking their place, which mm-hmm. kind of bumped everybody up a notch. Uh, but you know, the virtue of that is you have those extra reps and they should be a year, uh, more experienced and better. And I hope that that gets us back to, you know, national top 15 defensive metrics rate rating. And I, you know, if we get to that point, I'm going to feel really good about where the season goes, uh, because I think the offense is at least competent enough to, for a top 15 defense to drag them near the top of the conference.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's pretty spot on. Um, and I agree with you. Um, mine also another defensive thing because we're nothing if not consistent. Um, is a knock on wood, uh, healthy, uh, as healthy as one can be playing football anyway and getting blasted to pieces every day. Uh, defensive tackle rotation. Um, this, that, I mean, that was a, lot, a huge part of the defensive issues, like you said, against Stanford and the first part of Utah, and at times against Oregon State, even. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, you know, Tuli, Latuli Gasanoa being out. Um, and then it, so it just being kind of like Josiah Bronson, who has a very limited ceiling, and Sam Taimani, who isn't consistent yet, um, can be great isn't always (laughs) you you need to be always and a bunch of redshirt freshmen. Um, And I think it's going to be interesting this year to, I mean, just on paper, there's a really, really exciting player pool there. Um, And it sounded like from, from uh, spring practices, like they sounded like they were doing pretty good. Um, But I just want to see how that whole unit, can play um, particularly against the run, just as far as gap disruption uh, and making taking some of the stress off of the inside linebackers, making it easier for the linebackers to make their reads. Um, I, I, I think if you can get a healthy rotation of Tule and Taki um, and and you know like. Fatui Tuiteli probably is going to be more at, like, three-tech and Jacob Bandas more in the middle. And Noam Galu, who looked – surprisingly, I thought, he seemed during the spring game like someone who could be – I don't think he's going to take over and become a huge star this season or whatever, but he looked – he's a smaller, you know, relative for defensive tackles uh dude. But he he had some plays that kind of made him stand out. Um, and, you know, and then obviously there's the true freshman, but I, I never – I never want a true freshman to play more than they have to, more than a uh, if they're gonna never. I never want them to burn a redshirt if they're a defensive tackle because that is developmentally almost always stupid. But I do think they are exciting for the future. But uh, for this year, I think I think kind of that five-man group um, is is pretty interesting, and I I, I, I I'm cautiously optimistic about it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's a lot of overlap between what you're saying there and what I'm kind of relying on for the defensive improvement. I I think I'm very much on board with that. The third one, uh, getting kind of pulling off the field a little bit, is um, coming back to Husky Stadium, the return of the whole game day experience, particularly, well, everything. uh, I'm especially excited about the group of people I tailgate with, which we've been doing for a dozen years in different iterations probably about a decade uh in the pretty much the exact same thing but it really sucked last year that there were yeah. people i only see at these tailgates who i, I literally didn't see last year for like for down for two years because that's kind of the connective tissue that we set up tents next to each other and it's mm-hmm. with a group of about uh four or five friends that we kind of organize this thing and then you know our spouses our other friends are like um uh, family members and then the people who come in the the tents next to that so among the friends i see them but the people in the adjacent tents i don't see them some of the you know friends spouses or uh friends of friends i haven't seen them in two years uh this is i mean people i think automatically think like oh like you just want to like drink a hundred beers and pass out in the stadium. <laughs> I, this, I mean, I'm not a heavy drinker. I'll drink like maybe two beers at a tailgate uh, just because I, I get too sleepy during a yeah. gay football game and I want to make it through the second quarter. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, But like it's a group of people who there's a kind of like a competitive element to who hosts it in terms of uh, making better food than what was made the last <laughs> week. So there's like always amazing uh, food, like multiple meals served through the day because the guy who usually – Sets up the tent, gets there at like 6.30 in the morning, no matter what the time the game starts. There's a TV hooked up to a generator. We've got whatever the best game is uh, going on at the time on TV. Uh, You know, when the weather's nice, that's awesome on its own right. When it sucks, there's a fire pit set up. It's just like every part of it. I I don't want to like give too much away uh, and get anybody in trouble, but the guy who (laughs) owns the tent, uh, he and his brother drilled, Uh, into the concrete in the stadium parking lot uh, and put hooks there so the the tent can't blow away or get unstable.
1: You know, they could just put sandbags on it.
0: I I don't think that's permanent (laughs) enough. This is like, I think this is like the dog marking their territory. Oh my god, uh, I love that. intended. But it's like the whole experience of it is such like, like integral fabric. I think I've talked about this before of like, me relocating to Seattle, uh, 13 years ago. And this has been like an important part of developing like real roots of long-term friendships Mm -hmm. and relationships with people. Uh, and yeah, I'm just really excited to have that back. And I think missing that, I don't think I'm unique in that. I think there are a lot of people, uh, with different versions of this story who have like family members that this is a shared experience and they haven't got to share it for two years. And like getting back to being able to do that is going to just like introduce something to their lives. That's really been missing for a long time.
1: Yeah. They're so deep. I yeah. mean, I, now
0: you're, you're going to be I, like, uh, you know,
1: uh, uh, okay. on
0: Sunday cam
1: Davis. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, I, I was thinking about that, about saying like the experience, but I figured you were going to say it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not, we can't both say it. Um, but I think that's, like, that's obviously so true, and you could, you could, could blow that up to be, like, of uh, the world, you know, <laughs> beyond sure. tailgating, but I completely agree. Plus, um, that was where I met R.I.P., the first dubs, who was a very good boy. Um, yeah. Okay, mine, um... Going to take a break from defense, move on. Again, all my stuff was on the field um, because I'm uh, not creative. Uh, But but, uh, I want to go talk about offensive evolution from last season. But more importantly, the offensive evolution of actually having a full season and getting to improve and kind of build that better chemistry, whether that's between the offensive linemen um, kind of just having that shared brain or Dylan Morris and his receivers. Um, I, I think, I think we, we heard some from John Donovan. Uh, I think it was an interview with the athletic with Christian cable, where he, he did. uh, If he didn't say it explicitly, he very heavily implied that like, yeah, this is, this is that last year was a very, not dumbed down necessarily, but very truncated version of the offense they want to run and that they are, you know, wanting to, that he wants to expand it as Dylan Morris um, and company become more capable. Um, So obviously that puts us at kind of a higher floor for starting, but I think more, what's more interesting is that, I mean, if we had had a full 12 game season this year, I, I imagine, you know, we're gonna, we would be talking about the offense totally differently because there's not really many teams Who start the year looking the same as they do the end of the year. And not only did we, we only played four games, but we didn't even get our, you know, we didn't even get our real first game against Cal. We, half the time, we were playing with uh, dudes who were out because of mysterious reasons that we learned later were COVID. Uh, <laughs> I
0: mean we're, so, like look back at it it'll be the year when Josiah Bronson had like the second most linebacker snaps on the team yeah
1: exactly <laughs> I wonder why um yeah. but yeah so I, I think just circumstantially being in a scenario that's like' it, I, I, where a that people are more they're more likely to be successful granted so are other teams but um but I just think it's like any given football game by itself, Sure, it's fun to watch because of the experience, like you said, because we like football as a sport. But really, the game itself kind of—it's not self-contained, but it only really is that fun over the course of with it existing within the context of a greater narrative, um, kind of like what we were talking about with softball. Like, so, and you can't get that in four games, and you have to have—it's just to have that whole season back and to be able to see that evolution and kind of see where their point a is versus their point B and being able to extrapolate from that after next season and kind of get all excited again, or, or maybe not, maybe the sky will be falling by the end of uh, by December, 2021 um, in UW football, who knows, but I just think that is a, I think it'll give us more reason to be optimistic, but I also just think as fans of a sport team That that is just a way more interesting and kind of comprehensive and fulfilling way of consuming it (laughs) It is not as an isolated half-assed, barely put together game by game, by game, by game. Oh, now the season's over. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Yeah,
0: no, I think that's, I, I mean, I think that's the yin to the yang of the game day experience is being able to watch, a cohesive football season and mm-hmm. see what that looks like again and you know some fans got that last year like some in the southeast they just plowed through and did it and you know that's fine that's not probably not my socio-political preference but <laughs> you know they they at least got to watch football as a result of it and there were some good games in there um so I th- I think that that's a great list. I think we've covered pretty much, you know, everything. It, it wouldn't have been uh, a, a miss if I think one of us said like what happens next with Dylan Morris, the running back rotation is going to be really exciting or just like the giant question mark at wide receiver or like is... K dot and going to get involved more like there's a ton of stuff to be excited for. And I can't wait for it Mm -hmm. to actually be football season. Uh, I'm going to suggest since I don't have any good options that we just skip the recommendation uh, and plug section of our sign off. And also because I think we're both just going to recommend and plug that everybody watch the college world series or the the super regionals against Oklahoma this weekend, because uh, that was awesome. Do you have anything else that you wanted to plug uh, in the meantime before I just told you not to do it?
1: Uh. (laughs) Not really. I, I, I had thought about plugging a few different Blur albums that I went, went back down a rabbit hole and rediscovered how goddamn kick-ass they were. If you're wondering, I am talking about Park Life, Self-Titled, and The Great Escape. Oh, those are in different order than chronologically? Yes, that's how I suggest you do it. Um, but uh, I'm <laughs> I guess I did just plug it inadvertently. Fair enough.
0: You're entitled but, to. But um,
1: that. no, I yeah, yeah, ple- not. I'm not pleading with you for like their sake or my sake. I'm pleading with you for your sake. If you're not watching UW softball, especially, I mean, Gabby Plain's coming back next year because she was is a COVID senior, um, but she is a joy to watch. It's so fun. If you're, it, I mean, I obviously if you just don't like baseball or softball, whatever, but watching that that poker match between her and batters and just watching her, her, her watching her be so smart and just constantly frustrate them and also just seeing how she never she's always just smiling <laughs> and like she's even when she's when Michigan scored 5 runs and she the closest she looked to upset was then and she still was just like Da, 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 da. Like if the shrug emoji was a person, um, it's just so fun to watch her play, and it's so fun to watch that defense and 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 Heather Tars' um, tactical approach. And it, there's just so many factors where, it yeah, God, if you're not watching it, then you're missing out, and I I pity the fool. <laughs>
0: Once it's devolved to Mr. T references, it's time to say goodnight. <laughs> yeah. So Cut thanks, off, everybody, Colin. for listening. Uh, good luck to the Huskies this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.
1: Yeah. See you later. Do good things. Uh, that out to Washington.